Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. That, that right there was my, my closest uh, imitation of Dan that I can possibly do. That is a little, like hearkening to us, you know. I'll give it a B plus. Childhood sports announcer, you know, like what if I grew up to be a sports announcer? You have a great voice too though, Nate. I'll say that. I, I mean, you're no Dan, but. Well, right, I was going to say, like you stand next to Dan and it's like, well, yeah, you know, you know you're. You're halfway decent, and then Dan starts talking. You're like, oh, well, never mind. Dan's the he is so. the gold standard. So thank you for joining us today. We have Mitch and Stan in the booth, along with Dan at the helm, as always. Uh, and we're going to talk about relationships and money. Uh, I'm assuming everybody knows this, Mitch, but the one of, if not the number one reason for relationships breaking up is what? Social media. Uh, yes. <laughs> money. 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 Uh, and how we handle money and how do you even granular level to, do you have multiple checking accounts? Do you have one checking account? Do you pool all your money together? How does any of that work? And, uh, Stan has educated us that, uh, the world, uh, the world is, is different outside the, uh, East and West coast of the United States in regard to how, uh, money is handled between, uh, between spouses. So thanks for being with us today, Stan. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, you know, I think that the, the personal issues are universal, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> those are global, right? <laughs> and as with all other things, when you're an American and you live abroad, you probably have two tax residencies. Um, but you really only technically live in one place, right? And, 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 and where you have your financial accounts and... Um, whether uh, you file taxes jointly uh, in your residence country, um, what the marital, if there's a marital property regime or what the property regime is where you own your home, mm -hmm. right? Right. Is, is not necessarily going to be like it was when you were in the United States. So the dynamics shift. And of course, many expats, uh, find love abroad, right? Right. Um, so they may have a spouse that is subject to a, you know, one tax regime and it's their home tax regime and they did things a certain way and they have, you know, their money parked in different ways that might be problematic for their American spouse. Right. Let's unpack that briefly. Mitch, give us a very brief uh, kind of beginner's version of marital property and kind of, you know, what, what that means by way of uh, a simple example. Yeah. So in Wisconsin here, we are in a community property state and essentially anything earned during the marriage, right, right is is community property, meaning it's it's 50-50, essentially. Earned or, or how would you say it? Earned or um, acquired, right? Yeah. And, right. and there's this is one of those gray areas when we say acquired, because when it comes to something that was inherited, for example, there's ways that that might be outside of the marital property. You know, if it's, if, if one spouse's grandfather dies or something and they get some sort of inheritance, um, there are ways that that might be external to the marital community property. But when it comes to earnings, for example, so wages, anything that's going into your checking or savings account, those types of things, as you're building your 401ks through your employer plan, for example, that's an asset that will, will be subject to that. As you buy homes. Homes, right? Really, really an asset. Assets right. acquired for the most part during the marriage are, are going to be 50-50. And 
if and when uh, we know the statistics in America is probably 50 ish percent of, of marriages end up in divorce. I don't have an exact number on that, but you know, if that does happen, it's going to depend on what state you're in. So a lot of our clients are in Wisconsin. Obviously Stan's clients are not in Wisconsin. He's got, he's got the, the expat community that's abroad all over the world. But even in the United States, for example, Wisconsin state laws are different than other states. I think there's, there's probably less than 10 marital community property states in the United States. So you have to know what state you're in, what laws, you know, govern essentially where you are. And then we have clients too that have investment properties in other states, let's say. So how does that affect the situation? Yes, you might live in Wisconsin, but maybe you have investment property somewhere out West and that state might be handled completely different. So it, there's a lot that actually goes into it. Right. Um, hopefully that was high level ish for what you were looking well, for. You dropped a couple of stats and I looked to our stat man, Danny to confirm and no laptop in hand today. So Danny's kind of flying solo here in regard to, um, you know, being able to stat check for us. So. Ooh. Okay. So or did, did he pull it on the phone? He slid Is this he... across the table here. So good, good thing we have technology. So I, I was close. I think I said there are probably under 10. Is that what I said? States. You did say under 10. Yes. This Google is telling us there are nine community property states, Arizona, California, Idaho, Louisiana, Nevada, New Mexico, Texas, Washington, and Wisconsin. Oh, wow. Oh, wait. So it goes the other way then. I thought there was more community property states than, than not. No, 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 no. no, no. Oh, no, that's no, interesting. It, very, just, that's it, very interesting. Okay. Mar marital property is a civil law construct. So it started in... Are you going to go all attorney? He's going to go attorney. No, I love this. For He's those that don't it. know, Stan is a JD. He <laughs> is an attorney in a past but, life. <laughs> uh, most civil law countries have marital property. Right? Sure. So if you think about the historic Spanish roots of the Southwest... It's not surprising that they have a, a non-common law regime. And what is surprising is that here in Wisconsin, we don't have a common law regime, right? right because, right. you know, it, it just it just developed that way. I mean, property laws around the country are some of the most arcane laws, right? Sure. They, they don't really change over time right. um, that much, uh, except in Wisconsin, apparently. Right. Well, let's, okay. So that knowing that about marital property, let's, let's get even a little further into this and let's kind of take a few examples. I think the idea was to try to kind of map out for people listening uh, that have questions on this, kind of what we've seen almost best practices from, from what we've seen of our clients in terms of how money is handled in relationships. So uh, let's take newly, let's take going to be married slash newly married, right? So Mitch, uh, you have a client that comes in and says, we're going to get married in six months. Uh, we've always handled our finances from a monthly basis separately. Uh, what do we do? So one thing I'll say in this hypothetical, when someone comes in six months before marriage, I think it is awesome that people are seeking guidance and counsel before they get married. Sure. I, I think it's, it's one, it's good that they're thinking about it Two, It's good that they're talking about it amongst themselves. Obviously communication, whether we're talking finances, you know, I'm, I'm not a relationship counselor, but the communication is going to be going to be key, right? So at least having these conversations going into marriage is, is great. Some people do combine accounts or maybe before they even engage with, with me or, or anybody, you know, when they're seeking counsel, but some might already have accounts jointly, right? Maybe not everything is combined, but maybe they have a joint checking account or something like this. Others wait till, till marriage is, is official. And then they start combining assets after the fact. And in a state like Wisconsin, talking about community property, 
there, there is actually, you know, this is where the timing does change things because before the marriage, right? Things that are earned before the marriage aren't necessarily part of anything that might be earned or built from an asset perspective during marriage. So if you have joint assets before, right, that might be a different scenario than all of a sudden, hey, after we get married, now we're combining everything. So uh, the timing is going to be critical, but I do think it's a good idea that people talk, they have the conversation, they understand not only income and what they make, but then also assets and debts. Let's not forget about debts. I don't think we've talked about debts at all so far. So yeah, I, have, I have an interesting uh, sideline on that. I've heard people now, and I, I, I it sounds almost um, uh, kind of offensive to people. I think it's actually a good idea that people that are going to get married trade copies of their credit reports before they get married. Where they Isn't actually that you can, romantic? Yeah, right, right. Because you know, I mean, you talk about like trying to go into it with not a lot of secrets, if you will. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine getting into a relationship with somebody, getting married, and then realize that you have very, very good credit, and they have horribly bad credit with a, a, a number of outstanding things on fire, if you will. And now you're tied to this person. And, and let's say that that's going to affect a lot of things. Let's say you want to buy a house in the first couple right. of years of, of right. getting married, right? Right. That could throw a wrench in, in those plans. Right. Well, so, you may become half owner of those accounts that are on fire because you <laughs> yeah. are married now. Right. And so there's a, you, you just understanding kind of where your, where your partner is at by way of finances is really important. And like I said, this is repetitive, but not only, Hey, they got a good job. They make a lot of money. <laughs> you got to right. ask, is there any credit card debt? Right. You know, are there, you know, do you have $200,000 of student loans? Well, it's a standpoint. What a romantic conversation to have. Yeah. I mean, I just think you, you know, you, you open a bottle of wine and you light a candle and then you talk about each other's credit reports. I mean, right. I mean, am I, 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 I'm wondering, you know, I've, I've been married for a long time now, but I'm wondering if these dating sites, have FICO scores. Yeah. <laughs> Dan? Dan no? Dan's without a microphone, so he's he can't he can't speak on this podcast, <laughs> but uh, he's giving us the indication that they have not what what would it be? The Zuckerbergs of the world have not figured out how to how to incorporate a credit credit report. I mean, they probably have. They just don't. It, it's right. it, you know. I mean, you you got to go into these things with either good Photoshop or a FICO score that you can impress. Right, with. right. right. that's got to be right. a filter. That's that should, be, should a be a filterable option. Right. You know, right, right. I want to date people that are only seven hundred or above. Certain age where they plus seven hundred credit score <laughs> is. I mean, hey. That's that's the finance guys creating a dating app. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Dan, don't leave us to go start your new app. <laughs> right, we've just given him this idea. So no, that's a great point that you bring up, Mitch. The idea that debt and how that you know factors into it. Um, let's take it a step further. What uh, to? Uh, I'll, I'll kind of throw the question out there. I'll let Stan start. Stan, what have you heard by way of kind of the best ways that people handle just basic? paying of bills and, 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 you know, use of money on a monthly basis between spouses. Is it, is, is all money combined? Is it, I mean, what, what are the, what, what have you found to be the most effective from the clients that you've spoken with? You, you know, that's a great question, but like, I don't have the greatest answer because I mean, again, it, it really depends on where you live in the world. And part mm. of like, you know, this is a very big journal generalization, right? But um, if you live in a country where people file taxes separately, mm-hmm. um, they're very unlikely to to you know to 
have joint Interesting. assets or Interesting. to you know pay bills out of a joint account. Give us an example of a country right. that's like that. You know, oddly, the UK is like that. Interesting. There's okay. no joint filing of taxes in the United Kingdom. So Interesting. You can okay. own your brokerage account jointly, right? And and basically impute fifty percent of every uh, capital gain or loss transaction and and split the dividend, so to speak, right? And that may be logical for certain people in certain financial situations, right? But throw this into the mix. Um, let's assume that the that one of the spouses is a Brit and only a Brit, right? And the other spouse is is dual national or, so, or just a U.S. citizen, right? I mean, do you really want to own everything jointly? Because the U.S. government will want to tax all of it, right? The, right. The, the investment account that is got huh. a social security number sure, on sure. it, right? Or the investment rules are different. Your British spouse might own UK or European-based ETFs or mutual funds that would be toxic and poisonous for the U.S. spouse. Similarly, right, if you're doing your taxes individually, you know, very few spouses have exactly the same income, right? Mm -hmm. they, they have different, you know, wealth characteristics, right? Um, so, like, you, you, you kind of, you know, a certain you know, things that might be deductible, right? Well, you're going to want to pay them from the account that's owned and only owned by in the, the high earner. In the words of Ted Lasso, how many countries are in this country? <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Nate. There has not been enough Ted Lasso in any of the podcasts. Well, it's good that you can't, in. the seasons are, there's no new sea or no new episodes right now. So they're, they're on hiatus. So I, you know, you, you, you belong for those next seasons of Ted Lasso. All right, Mitch, bring it back to the, to the United States. What's, what have you heard is the best by way of, you know, handling, or maybe not the best, but like, you know, what are, what are effective ways for people to handle finances um, in marriage that, that are not used to having combined finances? Yeah. So it's again, starting with the communication and getting everything out there in a transparent way. Right. So we talked about that uh, quite a bit. I've got clients that are on both sides. Some really like having their own checking account. And some of that's just because let's say, let's say they've been used to operating their own budget for a while and they have their own checking account and maybe get married a little later in life or something like that. Right. right? And then that way people kind of have their, their established lanes, so to speak. Now, if you're in Wisconsin, that doesn't exempt you from community property law, obviously, but from an operational or logistic perspective, some people just keep their, their accounts separate and, and they manage their budgets separately. And I've seen this work, right? I've seen that work just fine. So one person pays the gas bill and the other person pays yep, for groceries. And they've got a and checking account and, and spouse one's name, let's yep. say, and spouse one is, is accountable for all those things. Right. Yep. And nowadays it's easy because hopefully you have auto bill paid like set up and right. hopefully you automate some of those things. Right. But it's coming from one account. Same thing. So their money gets deposited in their account from their job and then whatever bills they're accountable goes from the yep. other. And, and similarly with, you know, maybe spouse two, then maybe they're paying for the entertainment, right? So sure. when you go out to, to dinner or take out or whatever, people used to go to movies. I don't know if people go to movies anymore with COVID land, but you know, maybe, maybe that person takes care of the, the fun, so to speak. So I've seen that work just fine. And I've also seen it work. And my wife, Kaylee and I are kind of on this side where 
all our stuff is combined. Both of our both of our paychecks go into one joint checking account, for example. Oh, have, you're a one account family. That's interesting. I didn't know that about you guys. Yeah, we have we have one joint checking account, and then we've got a joint savings account. And I, I like earmarking in the in the form of kind of mental accounting, where you have different buckets within my savings. Right. So I've got you know like new car fund, for example, and, and that's part of the overall savings bucket. Right. But both of those are are jointly in our names. And, and one thing too, I think to, to think about is what I've seen, I've seen both work, right? I've seen, I've seen it work where each person has their own account and everything is separate. And then I've had it in the case like Kaylee and I, where we have joint accounts. You can't have a joint IRA, for example, joint 401k, things like that. That's going to be, that's going to be separate. Cause that's, that's only allowed to be linked to one social security number. So, um, but two, going to the whole divorce thing. I, Kaylee, if you're listening, I do not plan on divorcing you. I'll throw that out in the, <laughs> out in the open there. Love Mitch's you. It's just last pad podcast. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Signing right. off. <laughs> um, where I was going with this though is retitling in the case of divorce, right? There, there is so many things that might have to be done, right? So let's say you get to the point where a divorce is, is final. You have your divorce decree and all that. You're going to have to change not only how certain accounts are, are titled according to the divorce decree. You always want to you know check with the divorce decree, but beneficiaries, that's something that's overlooked all the time. I, I see people where they realize, oh, oops, my ex-spouse is still the primary beneficiary on all of my retirement assets or life insurance policies or insert asset here, right? That stuff needs to be cleaned up. <laughs> That's something you absolutely want to take care of. Maybe you still do want to support your spouse. I mean, if, if your spouse is caring for your children and you want to help support them with a life insurance policy, that way, right. you know, there are scenarios that uh, that still might apply that. But I've seen in a lot of cases too, where people are like, oh, whoops, I, I don't want to send all of my money to my ex-spouse if and when I die first. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, that's that's ground we've covered before, but it literally can't be covered enough because of the implications of what it is. Um, that th There are a few things that are more cut and dry in the financial world than that by way of whoever is listed as beneficiary on an account, the money is going to that person. Even if you update your will and do your state exactly. planning and after it, the fact, that's, do that as well. But if that beneficiary in your yes. 401k and your 401k is, you know, $700,000, or whatever, right. that beneficiary is titled as your ex-spouse, guess what? Your ex-spouse is getting that money. It's his or hers. Right. And so that that's a great point, Mitch, that, you know, so to go along kind of with the conversation that, you know, it's not only going into, you know, the legal <clears throat> unification that is a marriage, but also the, you know, dissolution of that or the, you know, to dissolve that, if you will, um, and what the implications are of, of that. Going back to the, the um, kind of how couples handle finances. The the one that I've seen that kind of is a hybrid of what you were referring to, Mitch, is the idea where both spouses have their own individual checking. And then there's a joint checking where all bills are paid out of and kind of obligations and things like that. Um, I'm somewhat of a fan of that because there is going to be a time in your marriage and likely multiple times where you want to buy something that your spouse finds completely stupid and irrational, right? So that money comes out of the if you only have a joint account and that money comes out of the joint account, that can create some resentment of one spouse saying to the other, I can't believe you spent $300 on, you know, whatever dumb thing you want to put in there. 
and so that I've seen that cause some problems. And so the idea of saying, well, let's pay all of the bills by way of bills and savings and all of our obligations. And then what we have left by way of our own spending money sits on our own individual accounts. Therefore we can spend it as we see fit and you know, not, I mean, you're still probably going to hear from your spouse if you buy something really stupid, but at least, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen from a monetary standpoint. And actually I've, I've seen people use kind of a Dave Ramsey approach and approach, and he's kind of, you know, polarizing, <laughs> I think. Um, but some people swear by him, right? Other people, uh, can't stand the guy. What I'll say is that I've seen people use the approach of each spouse has literally cash, like the cash Old envelope. School. Right, old super school. old school. Damn, and, they still have cash. It's and this it, paper form of money that you can buy <laughs> things with. And sorry, it's, you know. yeah, it's a thing. It and, is a thing. And I've seen it where each spouse has their cash bucket for the month, and that way, like you know, you have your cash envelope. You fill it with five hundred bucks, let's say, and you can spend that five hundred dollars on whatever you want. You can spend it on tickets to the Badger game. You can spend it right. on clothes, and that way there's really no discussion. If you both agree on here's the amount that we're each putting, here's what you can spend. Once that cash is gone, it's gone. But that's, that's each individual spouse's money. They can do what they want. So I, this is different, Stan, overseas, obviously, because of what you just said about the UK, you know, there would be no reason to have joint accounts necessarily. Well, so that I mean, look, what overrides the, you know, what's the most tax efficient solution is, you know, what makes a couple comfortable. Sure. Right. right. What, what causes <laughs> right. them to clash least, right? <laughs> because the highest tax rate, is it the federal U.S. income tax rate or the U.K. HMRC's tax rate? It's, it's how much wealth you're going to set on fire if you File for divorce. Sure, the divorce tax rate, divorce. if you will. The divorce right? tax rate is the most wealth-destroying <laughs> of all of them. Um, you know what I mean. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it really is a personal choice first. And some people are, if they have a, a lot of their money held jointly, they're just going to always fight about what ultimately it needs to be used for, right? And, you know, other people, like, 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 Mitch and, and, and Kaylee never fight. I'm sure, right? <laughs> never. It's just harmonious. That's because Mitch they're, is an engineer. He doesn't never buy something stupid. People, Mitch never right? would buy something dumb because it right. doesn't make sense, right? But you know, I mean, you know, it, it, it really it's it's a person it's a personal choice. It's a personality choice. Uh, but yes, I mean, there there's certainly you know countries where there's a logic in in kind of dividing up the wealth. And, sure. and sometimes if there are different um, tax residencies that apply, different rule books apply to the taxation of, of your property, so to speak, then there may be strategic advantages sure. in separation, right? Yep. I've also seen that happen more so for people that have maybe are both, <clears throat> both people are on their second marriage, or, or there's maybe been a loss of a spouse and, and, you know, so there's, this isn't their first marriage. I see that it being much, much more common in those scenarios where people do keep their Absolutely. finances pretty, pretty separate. Right. I mean, well, that, that one, and understandably well, so, I mean, you yes. know, when you've been burned by, you know, I mean, 
when you've gone through that horrible scenario of divorce, I can understand yeah. that the the desire to say, no, we're going to keep things separate. And so, and when it comes, this could be a whole other topic, but when it comes to social security decisions in yes. the case of divorce and remarriage and all that, talk to an advisor. That, that's what I'll yeah. say. We don't need to get into the scenarios, but you know, with claiming strategies, it could be a huge deal because in some cases, if you're married long enough, you could actually claim an ex-spouse's social security benefit. So yeah. talk to an advisor in that case too, because in some cases you might not want to get remarried and maybe you just have a lifelong partner that's, you know, that, that second partner, let's say, but it might not financially make sense to actually engage in that second marriage. It all comes down no. to the FICO score again. <laughs> Full <laughs> just, circle. Just bring it right back. <laughs> and uh, that's actually, that's, that's a good way to close it out. So the, uh, you know, if you've taken anything from this podcast, take from it that you should go out and get your significant other's credit report and, uh, you know, see, see what's in there. But no, I mean, we're some of it lighthearted, but obviously it's a serious subject and, and we've gotten questions about this from a lot of clients recently in terms of, of, um, uh, kind of how to, how to handle finances, what's the best way to handle finances. And I think ultimately to, to bring it back to what Mitch said earlier, communication is a huge piece of it. Um, and second of all, seek out advice of people that are in your lives that do deal with money every single day. And so we're happy to answer those questions for people that, uh, that, that want, uh, that want that assistance. So I'll take over Dan's part right here. Uh, you can find our podcast on, uh, any of the major podcast providers. And once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Give Me Some Truth. Walkner Cotton Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Registration with the SEC does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The opinions expressed by the participants of this podcast are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Walkner Cotton Financial Advisors. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Thanks for listening, and for further information, please visit walknercondon.com.